0: Chaos in Kansas City as another mass shooting spoils a victory celebration during the Chiefs title parade yesterday, and defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes is the fall guy in San Francisco. LeBron James teaming up with Steph Curry, that was the report coming out of the Bay Area regarding those two frenemies. What about the story regarding Pistons Center Isaiah Stewart punching an opponent well before tip-off last night in Phoenix? Kaitlyn Clark of Iowa looks to make history tonight as the highest scoring women's player in college basketball history. Another stadium series takes place in the NHL this weekend with not one but two games in one venue across the Hudson River in New Jersey. Will it be a frigid Met Life and are both games sellouts? Pitchers and catchers report across the Major League Baseball landscape with one future Hall of Famer behind schedule, which doesn't come as a surprise. We're smack dab in the middle of February as I'll keep those airwaves hot with plenty of sports chatter. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reel's here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the J Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, at J Reels, as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce Content on a day in, day out, week in, week out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings! How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The day after Valentine's Day, hope you all enjoyed it, no matter if you were in the dating phase, long-standing partners, or even by your lonesome, as I'll continue this love fest with what warms my heart, as I share my thoughts, opinions on all that's happening in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and now, here we are, just a few days after the Super Bowl, and with all the confetti pretty much swept out of Allegiant Stadium, and now all we have left are, for all intents and purposes, three sports. College basketball, NBA, NHL, and yes, we could talk about a few other things that's going to take place. Daytona 500, which I know is this weekend, the Super Bowl of Racing, which I can't really get into people. I can't even begin to think who's a favorite. How could I handicap this whole thing? Absolutely not. So for the racing fan out there who is probably wondering whether or not yours truly is going to roll up my sleeves to see... What could happen here come Sunday? I don't even know when the race starts. Is it 12 noon? There in Daytona Beach, Florida. But now we get into the sports dead zone where things get relatively quiet. And yes, there will be some things that will pop up along the way as we are just a month away, actually a little bit more than a month away from the NCAA tournament, March Madness. Baseball, which pitches and catches as I'll get to later on officially. Hope springs eternal throughout Florida and Arizona, as all of the teams will get ready to have the position players come in by early next week. But even then, is anybody going to be geeked up or pumped up to look forward to baseball right now as we just got out of the NFL season? And even though we could take a look at what's going to happen here in baseball with Shohei Otani coming in feeling like a rookie all over again, and ah, these are stories that obviously we're going to try to hang our hat on because. Not to say we got absolutely nothing, but it is a little bit of a wasteland with some tumbleweeds and having a scenario where we're going to be reaching for some content throughout the course of the next five, six weeks. And you know, sports, there's always something percolating. But with that being said, it's going to be maybe not tough sledding, but it may be a bit of a slog between now and let's say, what is that? March 21st, which the tournament will begin in earnest. I get it, the 19th, two days after Selection Sunday with the first four that will make it into the tournament come Thursday and Friday, but this is what we have, people, and this is even more challenging for yours truly. I love this time because we have some content and some things to get into and maybe stuff that would I probably wouldn't normally unpack, which I will certainly do so starting today over the course of the next month and change before we get to baseball, before we get to the best month. Of sports. Which is in April. To me there's no disputing it. We could talk about October all we want. And I've discussed that on the podcast. Ad infinitum. During these sports dead zones. But let's get right to it. Let me not bore you with. Any of that rigmarole. To put a. Closure on the NFL. I don't want to say season. Because we all know it ended there. Sunday night. With the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl. And sadly. I have to start off with this. So the parade took place through Kansas City, downtown, I guess a million people showed up for their third parade in the last five years, and sadly, it was marred by another mass shooting near Union Station in Kansas City to the numbers where they're staggering, 22 injured, one dead, I believe a couple of suspects have been taken into custody, why this happened, and we've seen scenarios in the past where teams who have not won a championship in quite some time, you'll hear about maybe cars burning on the side of a road or people just acting a fool, whether it's vandalizing property or maybe even a scenario where fights have broken out, people have been arrested, etc. But to have a mass shooting at the center of what was supposed to be a celebration. And yes, I could get into all of the parameters regarding gun control in this country. And I don't have to tell you how despicable, how we become desensitized to it when it comes to these mass shootings. And I'm only going to spend a minute on this. This isn't for me to get on a soapbox and talk about what America should do or shouldn't do. But we all know what's right and what's wrong. And if America is not going to wake up, and I don't think they have a will, let's face it, because we can have a zillion mass shootings as we've had here over the last... God knows how long, and it's one ear and out the other. And the powers that be of this nation of ours, they're not going to do anything about it. If they're not going to do it based on yesterday, or Uvalde, Texas, or going all the way back to Columbine, where, let's face it, this is where this trend started 25 years ago, this coming April. I mean, think about that. It seems like every other day, we've had these shootings, and it becomes a... Uh, situation where there's an outcry whether it's Sandy Hook I'm in Connecticut where all those kids were uh, in the school there as well as Uvalde a couple of years ago and one more time let me not go any further into that but the bottom line is is that the administration and the people doesn't matter left right upside downs and I couldn't care less I am nowhere near the left or the right I am right down the middle but is there going to be something done about this We know what the question is. Absolutely not. So I'm just going to put it right there and move forward. But just another terrible incident that this country has to endure. And it just becomes a thing where you shake your head. And even to a certain extent, you shrug your shoulders. Because it's not as if anything's going to happen or come about. Whether it's yesterday, last week, last month, last year, last decade, last two decades. So prayers go out to, again, not that that's going to, really mean anything in the grand scheme of things but of course heartfelt emotion thoughts etc are going to go out but when does it stop when we are just going to continue day in and day out just to send the prayers to Kansas City or prayers to this part of the country or prayers to this city this town etc can we stop this already now let's move on to what's happening in this case it's off the field but For the San Francisco 49ers, and I understand they lost the Super Bowl there on Sunday, and sadly, there's a fall guy that's going to be attached to this, and it's the defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. And by any means, he should have not have lost his job over what happened there Sunday, because think about it. Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, the GM of the 49ers, and of course, Shanahan being the coach, we get it that in the latter part of regulation, that final minute 53 where the Chiefs went down and kicked a field goal, and then in the overtime, when they scored the game-winning touchdown for them to win their third Super Bowl in the last five years, what made them think that Wilkes is going to be the guy that's going to get plucked here and said, "You know what? We're going to have to let him go based on the direction of the organization and our philosophy as far as defense is moving forward. Are you serious? Here's a defense that played lights out for the most part throughout the whole game up until those final two drives. And people could say, well, Jay Reels, come on. That was the biggest part of the game where they could have stopped them. Well, how about running the ball if you're Kyle Shanahan in that third quarter to where they only ran the ball twice? And after the interception by Patrick Mahomes to start off the third quarter, what did they do? Three pass plays. And I get it that second down, there was a penalty, second and 15. How about running the ball? Maybe you get a nice chunk where McCaffrey did get chunks throughout the course of the game to set them up, maybe a third and eight or even third and nine. And I understand they're going to pass there, but how about the second and five and the third and four call right before the two minute warning to where they didn't even run the ball in those instances. And in fact, on first down, what did McCaffrey do? He rushed for five yards and then you had a pass to George Kittle. And then the third and four, the blitz up the middle right after the two minute warning How about that? Now, of course, Shanahan isn't going to fire himself. And needless to say, he shouldn't lose his job. Or John Lynch is going to call Kyle Shanahan out on the carpet. But come on. Wilson's is going to be the guy that's going to lose his job here based on regulation and overtime where he lost one of his best defensive players in Dre Greenlaw with that Achilles running onto the field. What was that? Late in the first quarter. And they pretty much slowed down that KC offense up until the muff punt where it hit off the back of Darryl Luter Jr. And that turned the game right there. Because that's when Kansas City got the go-ahead score, 13-10. And then we knew the game went haywire at that point on. But for Wilkes to be the guy that's going to be out, based on Patrick Mahomes, the guy who is, as I said on Monday, and I'll say it right now, he's already on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks in NFL history. And when it's all said and done, he's going to be the GOAT. And you mean to tell me that you're going to say, here's your pink slip, Steve Wilkes. Thanks for all you did. Lame sauce. And then think about this. Why is John Lynch sitting next to Kyle Shanahan there during that press conference there a couple days ago? Or maybe it was yesterday, whenever it was. Seriously? You don't see the GM of the Steelers, Omar Khan, next to Mike Tomlin after what happened in Buffalo there during the wild card game. Or you don't see... Joe Douglas, the GM of the Jets, sitting next to Robert Sala. Or, same deal for the Giants, sitting next to Brian Dayball. Now, we understand Jerry Jones, he's the GM, he's the concession stands manager, head of marketing, owner, etc. He's a different set of encyclopedias altogether, but why is Lynch next to Shanahan there? And... I get it, Lynch, GM, he's done a phenomenal job with the organization, building it back to what they, close to what they once were as far as being Super Bowl champs as they haven't done so here in going on three decades, but I've had enough of seeing Lynch, whether it's on the sidelines, after games, before the final gun goes off. To me, he gets too much clout here. And I understand he's a Hall of Fame player, etc., but now he's an executive. And even though he could get a good feel of knowing what the locker room and taking the temperature, considering he was a player and a Hall of Famer. And I'll say borderline, I might add. Can I just throw that in there? I know I'm throwing cold water all over the place, but enough. I'm tired of seeing John Lynch. He doesn't need to sit next to Kyle Shanahan. Let him answer his own questions, and that's that. Which also, on top of this, before I move on to other stuff, on top of all that, where Kyle Shanahan mentioned in the post game, I didn't talk about this on Monday's podcast, but for him to come out and say that the reason why he took the ball in the overtime is because he wanted to have the third possession. Meaning that if San Francisco, as they did kick the field goal, and let's say Kansas City kicked the field goal as well, he'll get that third possession, whether the game was tied and not knowing that Mahomes, of course, is going to go down the field to win the game, considering that they kicked a field goal and the next possession pretty much was going to ice the game unless the Chiefs kicked a field goal but then for John Lynch to sit next to him and say oh no well the defense was gassed that's why we took the ball well let Shanahan answer that question seriously John Lynch doesn't even need to be there and as it is I didn't have any problem with Shanahan taking the ball in overtime and even though he didn't state that the defense was gassed considering they were just off the field in that final drive that set the game into overtime, but I just don't like to have this GM sitting next to the coach, Uh uh-uh, I've had enough, and enough of the Niners, I'm sick of them, I'm glad they lost, and now they have more answers to deal with this offseason and trying to get themselves to see if they could get not only to a Super Bowl, but finally win one for the first time since 1994. So that's what I got with the football, let me pivot and go now as I lace up the high tops to the association, there's a few things to chew on here as we get set for an all-star weekend, which I'm not going to watch or follow and I haven't done so in years, I know it's the first time in quite some time where you're going to have the East versus West as opposed to the captains manning their teams, whether it was last year, what was it, team, Attentacompo versus team LeBron James. Thankfully, that's done, but even then, that's not going to make me gravitate to watch the All-Star game come Sunday night TNT, and I get it. You also have the skills competition, whether it's the three-point shot, which I believe Sabrina Iescu and Steph Curry, they're going to go at it. I don't know if it's a one-on-one deal or if she's a part of this, who knows, but that's something that maybe I'll tune into just to see how that's going to unfold, but again, am I going to drop everything or say, oh, wait a minute, it's... did they start the three-point contest? Because I want to see what's going to happen between Curry and Ionescu. Uh Uh-uh, not this guy. So with the All-Star break ahead and a couple of games here tonight of note, but we found out yesterday that there was a report right before the trade deadline, which is a week ago today, that the Warriors were actually flirting with the idea and inquiring about the pursuit of of maybe having LeBron James a member of the Golden State Warriors. Did you see that? Now, the first thing I thought of was like, no, there's no way. I mean, seriously, like why would Golden State even think to bring in LeBron James at this juncture of his career where we understand that he's entrenched in LA and I understand it's right up the coast. What is it? An hour plane ride tops? And for LeBron who has his son playing at USC and his complete empire that's down there in Southern California and understand he's still being in the same state and what have you, but they kicked the tires on this possible deal and the Lakers refuted that as well as LeBron, even his representation, Rich Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, LeBron's not going anywhere. There's no way. Don't even think about it. All right, fine. But you know, if LeBron did want to make a pivot and happened to go from Tinseltown, LA up to the Bay Area He certainly has the power to veto any type of trade request or demands that, let's say, his agent would want to shoot down or even, let's say, Rob Palenka, the GM of the Lakers, even if he said no, LeBron could say, you know what, maybe I want to pursue this direction and team up with Stephen Curry. Well, obviously, LeBron... He said, "Uh uh-uh, there was no way that was going to happen. Same for the team, everything that I mentioned. And I'm glad that that's the case. I'm glad LeBron took charge here to say, there's no way I want to leave LA. I'm not going to play with Steph Curry. Now, those weren't his words, but we understand with everything that's going on in his life, having a son who had that medical issue, as we know, during spring practices, and now that he's a fixture there at USC, wanting to see his progress, be at his games, etc., that even... With him coming from San Francisco down to LA, he doesn't want to do that. And his family, everybody entrenched there outside of the downtown area in Los Angeles. I'm just glad that he didn't even entertain it, let alone want to go through with it because there would have been some backlash from here in New York City all the way, I'm sure, to the southern tip of Florida and Key West, all the way up to Spokane, Washington, etc., everybody would have slaughtered LeBron, it would have been a lose-lose, because again, he would have been ring chasing, just like he did in Miami, and even to a certain extent with LA, as he brought Anthony Davis over, in that trade with New Orleans, and then for him to be a part of this LA team community here, over the last five years, for him to just jump ship, it certainly would have been, not a bad optic, a terrible optic, so good for him for staying put, so That's one thing just to get out of the way as far as news and notes. And then you also have a scenario where, speaking of Steph Curry, I know Kevin Durant made some comments, and I didn't talk about this the other day. Obviously, I was in Super Bowl football mode. But you had that Saturday night game between the Suns and Warriors where it got a little testy with Draymond Green making some comments on his podcast toward Yusef Nurkic. Remember, that suspension from Draymond Green. And I'm not going to unpack that. I just bring that up because that happened to be in the same game where he shouted toward the direction of Kevin Durant and with the aftermath of Nurkic and him being struck down, Nurkic hitting the court and the follow-through for Draymond to come out and say that, yeah, I said what I said and talking about certain people and Durant, etc., but... With all that being said, I know I digressed there for a second, but for Curry and for Durant, where he came out and said, KD that is, that Steph Curry is the top five player of all time. Listen, we know how influential Curry has been in the sport when it comes to just his shooting prowess, greatest shooter in the history of the sport. Nobody's going to argue that. Three-point shooter, etc. He could shoot it from an inch behind the three-point arc or literally under the uh, his own basket to try to shoot from 94 feet across, we get it that his range is sick, almost unparalleled, I know there's a couple of guys, Damian Lillard comes to mind, and a few others, Trey Young, but we know as great of a shooter, as Steph Curry is, and Durant, who's been in the league a long time, and is one of the all-time greats, but for him to say he's top five, is completely out of line, it just is, and people can say Jay Reels, oh come on, what are you talking about, oh Steph Curry, The way he shoots, influential, so on and so forth, changed the game. He did. Influential and being top five are two separate things. Because I can name, not even top five, I can name 10 players in the history of the sport that are better than Steph Curry. Or that you'd want in a big spot over Steph Curry. Jordan, no brainer. Magic Johnson, who's also part of that influential conversation as being a 6'9 point guard, winning five titles and one in his rookie year at center. What did he put up? 42, 15, and 9? We can go through the whole list. Bird. You want to say Tim Duncan? I understand Tim Duncan was a power forward, but he's the greatest power forward of all time. Would you rather have him in a big spot or Steph Curry? And I get it that Curry is going to put those daggers in the opposing team's heart when it comes to crunch time and being clutch, etc. But give me Tim Duncan over Steph Curry. Kobe Bryant, just as much of a killer, if not more, than Curry. So for Kevin Durant to say that, maybe it was just because they lost and Curry hit that dagger three, which set them up for victory there in San Francisco Saturday night. But to me, Kevin Durant, I thought that that was totally out of bounds for him to say that Curry's a top five player of all time. You want to argue top 10? I can even argue that. He's not in my top 10. He's between 10 and 15 somewhere, but top five, let's be real. You had this incident last night in Phoenix where Isaiah Stewart, the center of the Detroit Pistons who were visiting the Suns, which happens to be the first visit for Monty Williams. Remember, he was fired as Phoenix Suns coach last year. So he made his return to the desert. And for whatever the reason, as the teams, or I should say the team, Detroit was entering into the building and for whatever the reason, happened to cross paths with the Suns player, Drew Eubanks. And next thing you know, he's being arrested because he assaulted him with a punch. Who knows how it started? Who knows if this goes way back? If this was something that maybe just triggered Stewart, who knows? I I have no clue. And yes, he was arrested, got a citation. I'm sure he's probably going to have to do some sort of time, not necessarily jail time, but maybe, who knows? I don't know what the laws are in Phoenix for something like that. Whether it was unprovoked or not, who knows? But that was just a strange story coming out of Phoenix there last night. And if you remember a couple of years ago, on the court, Isaiah Stewart got into it with LeBron James, where I believe he was suspended a couple of games, where LeBron was suspended one game. So who knows if this is an anger management issue. Obviously, I am nowhere near the pulse of Isaiah Stewart and his behavior or anything like that. But something like this does raise a red flag because you can only think back to that on-court issue with LeBron. And then for this to happen in the bowels of the Suns arena and where this came from, how did this come about, et cetera, no one has a clue. So just a strange set of circumstances there. And you only hope that Eubanks is fine. And he actually played in the game last night. So it wasn't a situation where he had to go to the hospital. Although he got treated for a minor injury, who knows what that was. But yeah, just, I mean, I don't know that you talk about bizarre that's one that you certainly scratch your head and even shake your head and just hope that Stewart for whatever the reason is okay today and not just flying off at the handle for whatever the reason that started this brief dust up between he and Drew Eubanks besides that what we have here in the association as we get into the break I know the Celtics put up a 50-point victory, that's right, 5-0, not 1-5, against the Nets as they swept the home-and-home there, Brooklyn Tuesday, last night in Boston, and I will say this, if Joseph Tsai, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, is going to even think about firing Jacques Vaughn, then he needs to sell the team, and I'm not trying to make Jacques Vaughn out to be Phil Jackson, but for... His team to be disbanded over the last couple of years as we've seen, and I'm not going to be a shill for the Brooklyn Nets either, but yes, that's an embarrassing loss last night when you lose by 50, what was it, 136-86, and we understand that their team is below average. When you look at the standings, what are they, 21-33, and 33, and they're probably not going to make it into the playing tournament, even though they are currently, what, two and a half games back, so they're still within striking distance, but... We wouldn't expect them to do much, even if they do qualify for the playing tournament, but Jock Vaughn, he's probably going to end up being, let's go back to that term, fall guy, like Steve Wilkes earlier, but that would be a shame because it's not all on him. It's because of the way the team is constructed. They have some good young players, Michael Bridges. I know Ben Simmons is now, believe it or not, back in the lineup and trying to make some contributions and amends for all the injuries and everything that's transpired in his basketball career over the last couple of years. Cam Thomas, who put up a big number there the other night against the Celtics. But still, they are devoid of big-time talent. Of talent that's going to compete in an Eastern Conference. And you would think, at the end of the year, it looks like Vaughn is going to be out. So, I just thought to throw that out there. I hope that's not the case, but can you see that happening? Absolutely. Especially with the Knicks' success here. And speaking of the Knicks, they've actually hit some skids here, they've actually lost four in a row, going into the break, maybe not the way they wanted to, they are currently fourth in the Eastern Conference, behind the Bucks, the Cavaliers, who had that long winning streak, snapped there on Monday night against the Sixers, they get back in winning ways last night, and they're currently six games, five behind the Celtics in the Eastern Conference, followed by Philly, Indiana, who had Pascal Siakam go back to Toronto last night, put up 23 points. Was humbled by the return, but knew that he wanted to get a win. The job is a job. He had to stay focused and not just get caught up in the emotion or the moment of going back to Toronto where he won a championship, I might add, for the first time since the trade there last month. Then you have Miami, Orlando on the outside. And when I say the outside, that's in the 7-10 to 10 range there in the Eastern Conference, tied with Orlando. Then you have Chicago, Atlanta. Wrapping up the top 10, out west, Minnesota, continues to be number one, they are a game ahead of Oklahoma City, one game in the loss, but a game and a half ahead of the Clippers, where they, I believe they actually play tonight, I'll check this, the final two games tonight, I I believe will be on TNT before we get into the break. Then you have Denver, Phoenix is now up to five, remember they were down in that, 9 10 range, what was it? Maybe three, four weeks ago, but they played themselves up to the five seed. And let's see, they are three in the loss and actually three games back of Denver in the Western Conference. So I'm sure they're going to have their eyes set on that, maybe to have a rematch. Remember, they played in the conference semifinals last year where the Nuggets won in six. And currently, if the season ended today, Denver would have the home court advantage. So maybe the Suns will have their eyes set on that when it's all said and done followed by Dallas, Sacramento, the Kings, and Golden State, although they played better. The Warriors as of late, as I talked about there on Monday, but with the Jazz just a game and a half behind, and actually three in the loss, so that's something to keep in mind in the Western Conference for that final spot in the 9-10 range, and with the Lakers two games ahead of the Warriors there in the West, you would think that they should be in decent shape when it comes to going deeper into the year and not having to worry about the Utahs, even the Houston Rockets of the world trying to creep up and see if they could take one of those final couple of spots before we get to the postseason, which is still a couple of months away. And the long NBA season that is will continue to do just that. Obviously, there'll be a pause with the break here and with the final couple of games tonight before the season or the schedule Picks up next Thursday. Tonight you have three games. Milwaukee at Memphis. Golden State at Utah. Minnesota at Portland. Before you have the pomp and circumstance of the All-Star weekend. Which I believe is in Indiana. Is it not? That just goes to show you how much I really invest or even care about the All-Star break. Where it's being played at, etc. So that's what you got with the NBA. Real quick with college basketball. I know you had Syracuse beat North Carolina number 7th ranked the other day. So that just adds another wrinkle to this. What's going to be a wild and unpredictable next month as we get into the tournament. Now remember, Selection Sunday is a month from Saturday. St. Patrick's Day. So there's plenty of time to see what's going to happen, what's going to shake down. I know last week I talked about if they were four number one teams, if you had your brackets today, what would they be? And they probably would be the teams that have been at the top for the most part, whether it is UConn, whether it is Purdue. I know North Carolina, they were three at one point, but they have dropped down considerably. Kansas, you would think, could be one of those teams that would be a one seed when it's all said and done. But a lot can happen, as we all know. Even Houston, who's played pretty well Marquette has moved up the rankings there as they're currently fourth your top five are UConn Purdue Houston Marquette and North Carolina so plenty of basketball to be played I don't know how this is going to all shake down or how this is going to fare by the time we even get to Monday let alone March 1st let alone Conference Championship Week or even Selection Sunday anything can happen but that's what we have there with the men's side and on the women's side tonight tonight You have history in the making where Caitlin Clark, the guard from Iowa, who is just eight points shy of Kelsey Plum's all-time scoring record for a college career, the former Husky who's now a member of the Las Vegas Aces. And I believe Michigan is coming into Iowa to what will be a historic moment now, I found out about this yesterday, knowing that the game is going to take place tonight. She's eight points away. I couldn't even tell you the total amount of points Kelsey Plum scored throughout her college career. So that just goes to show you how much it's off my radar, but I'm going to give her her due and give her daps. Obviously with last year, the whole situation with Iowa and LSU and how that all unfolded and them coming short of winning a championship. And now Iowa is going to be front and center in the college basketball new cycle, when she breaks the record, she's averaging 32 a game, she'll probably get it in the first quarter, so for Caitlin Clark, I know that's going to be a big moment for her, big moment for women's college basketball as it continues to progress here, and be part of our consciousness, which is fantastic, so I'm sure on Monday, we'll see how that will shape up, and for her to achieve that, which I think she will tonight, barring just a crazy injury if she turns an ankle or has to go out of the lineup for whatever the reason. So I just thought to throw in my two cents on that. And then the other thing is too, is that is she the type of player when we think about college players in the history of women's college basketball? And we could go through them all. Whether your name is Tamika Catchings, Rebecca Lobo, Sue Bird, Cheryl Swoops, does she belong in that pantheon of those aforementioned greats? Now I guess we could talk about her prowess during the regular season considering she's going to be the all-time scorer and I understand Kelsey Plum, you also have to throw her there in the mix as one that maybe belongs in that upper echelon or that elite women's college basketball player. Now listen, I have not watched a ton of Iowa games Hand raised high in the air. I'm not going to sit here and be the women's college basketball expert, but it does bring up an interesting debate on whether or not she belongs in that pantheon of those players. I guess to me, first and foremost, she would have to win a championship because all those other players before her did, even Shamika Holtzclaw, that's another one that I didn't mention and I'm sure there's a few others if I forgot, my apologies, but for Caitlin Clark to be in that discussion, to be in that company, she has to win a title this year. Even with her breaking the record, you would think tonight as being the greatest, at least regular season college basketball player of all time. But if she wants to be put up there amongst those greats, she has to win a title, in my humble opinion. All right, now let me turn my attention to the National Hockey League NHL as we take a trip around the ice. And the one thing that comes to mind this weekend is the stadium series. It's not necessarily my backyard. It's not even a stone's throw, but it's the other side of the river. There as two games, not one, two are going to be played at MetLife Stadium, which to me is a bit of a joke. And I understand why they're doing it because they're involving the first matchup, which will be Saturday night ABC. And ABC is a triple header this Saturday, which is great if you're a hockey fan, the Kings are going to go to Boston at 12.30, your afternoon matinee. And then at 3 o'clock, I believe Edmonton is going to Dallas. I'll double check that. But you have the Oilers and what they've been doing here over the last couple of months with their long winning streak and Connor McDavid who had six assists which tied a record for most points he scored in the game for those who love McDavid. And obviously I've talked about his just stupendous play and how he, I believe... Will not be the MVP this year, but he's in the running for the MVP every year. That's how great of a player he is. But Edmonton and Dallas, I believe that's the second game. I'll double check that. And then the nightcap is Philadelphia at New Jersey, which will be at MetLife. And that just, I hate to say it, that building's been up, what, 14 years and it's a dump. It is not state-of-the-art. It is an eyesore when you think about it. It's just nothing but metal and concrete. Certainly has no charm, no appeal. But for... ABC to highlight that day, the triple header, especially with nothing else much going on. Even though that's All Star Saturday for the basketball aficionado who wants to get into that. But when we take a look at the both games, Philadelphia, who has played well and in the middle of what's going on there in the Metropolitan Division, and the Devils, they're just trying to get themselves righted even with Jack Hughes who has been out of the lineup although he's been back recently but the Devils who have played a little bit better and currently the Flyers are third place in the Metropolitan followed by the Devils separated by 5 points and who knows what type of atmosphere that's going to be are they going to jam 80,000 plus i believe the capacity is 825 now think about that 82,500 hockey fans And I understand you're going to get people coming up the turnpike from Philadelphia to invade East Rutherford and whatever Devil fans that are out there. They're also going to jam that building. But is that going to be a sellout? And the same for the following day. And I get it that it's a novelty. It's rare that you have these outdoor games. It's a situation where you kind of want to be there. And I know the weather's going to be cold. It actually may snow on Saturday and probably be somewhere in the low 30s. And remember, that's going to be at 8 p.m. So you know that's going to be about... Somewhere in the low to mid-20s with a wind chill in the teens. And then Sunday afternoon where the Islanders are going to be the home team where the Rangers are the road. Sunday 3 o'clock where yours truly is going to be there. And I'm actually going to vlog. Now I can't of course record any live action. That I'm prohibited from doing. But I'm going to be there just to document my experience. And I actually went to the Islander Ranger game outdoor in Yankee Stadium a decade plus ago. So I just want to throw that in there. But is that game also going to be a sellout? I don't know. I haven't really checked to see. I know that tickets are still being sold if you go to the websites. And I understand a lot of that's the secondary market. So those tickets already have been sold. But are you really going to be able to jam on back-to-back days, 82,500? That's something I'll definitely monitor. And I'll be in the building for the second one. So you know, come Monday on that podcast, I will definitely go in on whether or not It was packed to the gills with hockey fans wanting to experience and witness an outdoor game with this stadium series here in our local area. Again, Flyers-Devils Saturday night with the Islanders and Rangers playing Sunday. And I might add, that is going to be the first of four matchups between the Islanders and Rangers this year. And here we are, mid-February, and they haven't even played one game yet. With the first one being out at MetLife Stadium. And yes, three o'clock Saturday, Edmonton at Dallas, so you have some good matchups there for the hockey fan that definitely wants to sink their teeth into what's going to happen there on the ice, so have at it there Saturday, and of course, we'll recap all that come Monday. Now, a couple of other things on the NHL front, I talked about this on Monday where Morgan Riley of the Maple Leafs got five games, which I thought that was going to be the case for cross-checking Ridley Gregg, the Ottawa Senators player. He, of the slap shot into an empty net, literally from two feet in, and Greg, who made some comments there for the first time since the incident, which I believe happened Saturday night, how he came out and said that he was in the heat of the moment by taking that slap shot, literally, if you go to YouTube and check it out for yourself, there hasn't been any player, and I've been watching hockey and following hockey going back to the late 70s. I have not seen a player from literally two feet in, take a slap shot into an empty net. So I don't want to hear that I was caught up in the heat of the moment of what was at the time, I believe the score was 4-3. And maybe even 4-2 for that matter, but it was 4-3 and then he had a complete breakaway, nobody in front of him. And he literally, it was almost, if you want to call it a slam dunk of hockey, that's what it was. And then Morgan Riley, instead of going over there, maybe having a few words and saying, hey, let's go. I got to drop the gloves with you. What does he do? He decides to cross check him in the face or in the head, upper body, etc. Which to me, that doesn't fly because that is just a Bush league cheap shot play on Riley's part. And I'm sure he's not a tough guy in the least. And not to get on that soapbox, I talked about this on Monday, but... Bring back the tough guy. Bring back the enforcer in the NHL for every team to have at least one. Not just a smattering of the Ryan Reeves and the Matt Martins and the Tom Wilsons of the world. Uh Uh-uh. The Eric the Lauriers. I don't want to hear it. I want one guy on each team because you won't have incidents like this when you have guys that are going to have free will to take liberty of a cheap shot like Morgan Riley did. And I wish you would have got more games on top of that. I understand five is probably the sweet spot that's probably what he deserved, and I'm sure he's a first-time offender, but still, the NHL wants to get rid of it, then you know what? Bring back the fighter. Bring back the tough guy. And you're not going to see that because you think guys are going to take liberties of shots like that, knowing that they're going to have to deal with the toughest guy in the league or toughest guy in the team, whether it be, maybe not in that game because that happened in the closing seconds, but if Ottawa and Toronto meet up again, which I would think they will one more time at least on the schedule, That next time around, really Greg's on the ice and the tough guys out there, it's going to be, all right, now you got some punishment headed for you, coming your way. So, ah, I tell you, hockey is, forget about a shell of its old self. Ah, let me not even go there. So let me take a look and see what's happening, latest and greatest in the sport as far as standings. I know the Panthers have played well. They're actually creeping up on the Bruins, just two points behind them in the Atlantic. So that's a race you want to keep an eye out for. Rangers have a comfortable six-point lead over Carolina. I talked about Flyers-Devils. Let's see what the Islanders do. They're a point behind the Devils, so they're going to have to root for the Flyers there on Saturday if they want to try to leapfrog over the Devils. And I'll get into more of the wild card picture. I know we're now... Yeah, we're about two-thirds into the season, so maybe when we get to the 60-game point, I'll start to take a look at wild card scenarios. Not to say it's too early, but... We'll have plenty of time to talk about that during the sports dead zone, as we discussed. The Canucks, they're starting to pull away from the Pacific Division and now 10 points over the Vegas Golden Knights in the division, and they have the most points in the sport, 78, so the Canucks, who are looking very formidable and very strong, that could be a team to look out for here when we get to April, May, and June, but as we've seen time after time, all we got to do is look back to last year with the Bruins. Most points, most wins in NHL regular season history. And what happened? 3-1 series lead against Florida. and eh, Got swept the rest of the way and out of the postseason. So Vancouver, take heed of the Bruins last year. So before you start reading your own press clippings and thinking that you're going to be not only a Stanley Cup title contender, but a favorite for the Stanley Cup, all they got to do is look back to last year in the Bruins and how they unfolded there during those final three games in that opening round. So that's what you have with the NHL. Let's see what we have left before I bid adieu. I guess I'll wrap up here with the baseball. Because pitchers and catchers, they're in full bloom now throughout the Major League Baseball landscape. And there's already news of a pitcher. And no, it's not Jacob DeGrom, who's not going to pitch until probably July. Remember, he's coming off of Tommy John. And then you had a scenario with Max Scherzer, who is also going to be on the shelf with that back issue, I believe he had surgery, he's going to be out three, four months, he's not going to be back until the All-Star break, and now, just to round it all for the Met fan, in full bloom, reports have come out that Justin Verlander, who will be 42 next week, I believe on Tuesday, 42 years of age, who has been progressing slowly and is behind scheduled due to a shoulder issue. Now, I don't know the extent of the shoulder. I don't know if this is going to be one that's going to cause him any... An opportunity of missed time. Now, remember last year, he, I believe, had the same issue as he didn't start the season with the Mets. He didn't start, I believe, until, what was it, early May when he got his season untracked. And he actually pitched pretty well. I mean, he had his moments where he wasn't good. But he, for the most part, pitched well before he got traded. And that was a trade that I... Didn't endorse. I figured Max Scherzer out, let him go to Texas. I have no issues with him being jettisoned, but for Verlander, I thought to myself, well, why would we let go of him only because he has one more year on his contract? He has pitched pretty well. He came off of that Tommy John surgery back in 2020 to where he was a Cy Young Award winner in 2022 when they won the World Series when he was a member of the Astros, and then they traded him and they bring back Drew Gilbert, and I'm like, well, guess what? I guess you have to say in hindsight, thank goodness for that. Because if Verlander was coming into Port St. Lucie and having the same shoulder issue as last year, of course, the sky would already start to fall in Metville, considering that you're paying a guy $43 million. And I'm sure the Mets are paying a nice chunk of that, considering they had to pay whatever it was in order to get a top prospect back from Houston. But with all that being said, I'm just thankful that Shirley, I'm just thankful. Let's put it this way That Verlander isn't a part of the Met rotation, considering that this team is probably not going to do much this year, and I'd be shocked if they do so. And I'll get into the Mets more down the road. So, it is not time for me to unpack my displeasure for any offseason acquisitions or for what the Mets are trying to do. And we get it's going to be a down year before 2025 and all that. All right, but let me shut up and move on. But besides that. I can't get too pumped up here and usually I get excited when we talk about pitchers and catchers because that means spring is a little bit more than a month away that we could start hearing the crack of the bat and maybe have visions of smelling the outfield grass and beer flowing in the stadium etc. But for the first time in a long time, although I anticipate it, I love spring. That's my month. I look forward to the end of March in particular to celebrate a birthday on top of April and what it has to offer when it comes to sports. But as of right this second, just a few days after an NFL season, trying to warm up and really dive into the NBA, NHL, and even college basketball for that matter, baseball, is it in my consciousness? A little bit. Not a lot. So I'm sure as we get closer to the end of the month and the exhibition games, and not that I get crazy about that, but Then I'll open my eyes and ears to what is really going on in the sport. But as of right now, I'm not that pumped up. I have to be honest. And mind you, in closing, Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman. I'm sure I'm forgetting another free agent or two. Are these guys going to sign on the dotted line come February 20th? Or is this going to be a thing where... Scott Boris is going to price these guys well out of their bracket for years and annual cost and length of the contract, etc. when it comes to the total amount. To me, I don't know if that's even going to happen here over the course of the next few days. Or coming weeks. At this point, I'd actually be shocked if any of these guys sign. And knowing Scott Boris, he's probably going to paint a picture to his clients to say all right we'll put you here for one year and if you put up a monster the a year then we'll get you the big bucks next offseason well Blake Snell's not going to say that because he just came off of a Cy Young award winning campaign as a member of the Padres his stock's probably not going to be any higher than what it is right now and as it was the reports are what nine years 270 million dollars are you nuts Scott cast 2.0, as I've said time after time with him. So who knows? I couldn't tell you. I'm sure they're going to get a job at some point. I'm sure somebody's going to sign them. I don't know to what length, how much, etc. But pitchers and catchers are reported and the position players are not too far behind. Could the same be said for the aforementioned Snell, Bellinger, and even Matt Chapman? I guess we'll have to wait and see. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for carving out precious time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate review. Don't a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. That's going to be a big boost and a help to getting the word out there of what yours truly is doing. Now, being a full-time content creator, producing and hosting this podcast, putting this up on my YouTube channel at JReels, etc. So, please... Passes along to the sports fan in your life, whether they're casual, diehard, can't get enough, friends, family, foes, enemies, frenemies, I don't care. Just get it out there, people. Again, it is certainly appreciated. And if you haven't done so, go to my YouTube channel, subscribe there at J Reels as I put up content. I just put up a vlog yesterday detailing my exit from corporate America to becoming a full-time content creator so definitely want to peep that give it a like leave a comment one more time I would appreciate it if you want to hit me up with a question comment suggestion you could do so at the following whether it be on YouTube or Instagram TikTok Facebook the J Reels podcast Twitter x J Reels one just the number or the old-fashioned way the J Reels podcast at gmail.com I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, talking sports since birth, since I've come out of the womb, even before that. Cooking in my mother's stomach, all right? Got a little graphic TMI, but you get the point because I will continue day in, day out, podcast in, podcast out, to continue to deliver the fire, passion, fury, energy with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.